This week on Geek Explained, with the film adaptation of The Kitchen debuting this Friday, we're taking a look at some of the greatest crime comics you may not have heard of, but I guarantee you'll never forget. Welcome back to Geek Explain, the podcast for comics, film, TV, and more. You name it, we can explain it. I'm your host, Eric Gazzana, and today's episode is all about crime comics. So not your typical superhero stories, but there are heroes, there are villains, and there is plenty of great story to sink your teeth into. Also, on this week's episode, we have our news segment, we have this week's comics countdown, as well as the weekly review where we're going to be reviewing the series finale of Swamp Thing. This is it. This is the end of Swamp Thing, and uh, yeah, it's... um We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it for sure. But for now, let's jump on over to this week's news segment. All right, ladies and gentlemen, geeks of all ages, we've got some uh, some news to talk about. Not a lot this week, but uh, some big stuff, I would say. So I've got my notes here. Uh, We've got our normal four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. Um, We're going to start off with film, because I think that's that's the stuff that was really impactful this week. Um, First off, we got the first trailer for 1917, a new uh, World War I film by Sam Mendes, or Mendes, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but... um, yeah, it looks good. It looks really good. Um, it's basically the, from what I can tell from the uh, from the trailer at least, uh, it's about British uh, soldiers during World War One, who are tasked with um, like intercepting a message or, yeah, intercepting a message to their allied troops so that those troops don't walk into like a trap basically and it's a race against the clock looked really really good you saw uh benedict cumberbatch other really really good actors there as well i'm excited i love wartime movies um and i will definitely be checking this out especially because i think world war one doesn't get as much coverage when it comes to films like that so i am definitely going to be checking this out in other film news big news this week it started off with uh tom hardy uh tom hardy played venom eddie brock in the uh first big venom film the first time venom was ever on the silver screen because he was never on any other movie before that ever and um it was okay it wasn't great. I I mean, it made a lot of money, which is great. But um, for me, when I watched it, I wasn't super impressed by it. Um, but it was confirmed that a sequel was coming. And I believe it was last week we talked about a possible shortlist of directors for the sequel, Venom 2. 
Ruben Fleischer, who directed the first Venom film, is kind of all caught up right now in, zo- in uh, Zombieland Double Tap, which we talked about uh, last week as well, which I think looks really, really good, and I'm definitely excited about that. Um, and in an interview this week, or this past week, Tom Hardy was talking about this potential uh, shortlist of directors and might have let it slip that Andy Serkis is confirmed to be uh, directing the film. Now, this was rumor and conjecture for the past week until probably about two days ago. Um, Might have even been yesterday as of this recording. But Andy Serkis is officially on board to direct Venom 2. Uh, I think it's a great choice. I think he knows what he's doing. Um, If any of his filmography can speak for itself. He knows what he's doing when it comes to uh, visual effects, when it comes to CGI, directing that. And when it comes to Venom, like we were talking about last week, uh, there's going to be a lot of CGI, especially if they're looking to build upon the post credit scene of the first Venom, which featured Cletus Cassidy, who will be coming uh, Carnage. Now, I don't know how I feel about the second Venom movie, basically, if they are going to do Carnage, basically doing the same exact kind of villain from the first one. Uh, If they really lean into the serial killer aspect and have it almost be like, um, like Zodiac, where Eddie Brock is trying to chase down the leads of the serial killer who has now bonded to a symbiote and his crimes keep escalating and Eddie is like an investigative reporter. I think that could be really cool. But if it's the same shtick where it's basically uh, Eddie and Venom kind of bickering like an old married couple back and forth while uh, Cletus Cassidy is being evil off to the side and they come together in one giant CGI fight at the end, it's basically going to be the same as Venom 2. Or uh, Venom One, excuse me. But I'm really, I'm really hopeful. I'm hopeful. Andy Circus definitely knows what he's doing, and I am looking forward to seeing what comes of this partnership. Jumping into comics next, I'm gonna go into comics because we only got one thing for the comics. Uh, the first infected DC hero has been revealed as part of the uh, Year of the Villains slash Batman Superman. Uh, comic that's going to be coming out with uh, Joshua Williamson and David Marquez next month, I think. I think it's next month. I think it's September. But um, we, we had already gotten the reveal that uh, Billy Batson slash Shazam is going to be one of the infected heroes, but that is still, as of this recording, in the future of the DC canon. So we got the official confirmation of the very first uh, hero, quote unquote, who has been infected by the dark multiverse and will be playing a hand in the Batman Who Laughs uh, saga and his whole uh, larger plan at play for the rest of this year. Um, we got this reveal in Batman Who Laughs number seven, and it was interesting. Um, like I said, I think it's a book that reads a lot better as a trade, and so even though I kept up with the uh, with the story as it went by from month to month, I think I'll be collecting it when the uh, when the trade comes out. But overall, they set up a lot of stuff. Scott Snyder's writing has been impeccable, especially when it comes to his bat characters, and the art by Jock is just stellar. It is creepy, it is unsettling, it is haunting at times, and I think they did a really good job. But 
The book was basically setting itself up to explain why uh, the Batman Who Laughs was locked up in the basement of the Hall of Justice at the beginning of the Justice League book. So this whole thing happened, this whole thing went down, and at the very end, uh, Batman, along with the help of Jim Gordon and James Gordon Jr., uh, defeated the Batman Who Laughs along with uh, the Grim Knight and locked the Batman Who Laughs underneath the hall. But at the end of the story... I should have given a spoiler warning for this book if you haven't read it yet, but it's too late now, we're already here. Um, at the end of the story, the heroes kind of went about their business and it was revealed that Jim Gordon has been infected. So he is one of what Joshua Williamson has said is the new Secret Six. Six heroes who have been infected and will be uh, helping to pull the strings for the Batman Who Laughs. So I'm really interested to see how they use Jim Gordon. He is a very undervalued character when it comes to not just uh, the Bat family, but the DC Universe as a whole. People respect Jim Gordon, they follow Jim Gordon, and I think this is going to definitely spell out a lot of trouble in the year ahead of us so really excited about that really excited at the prospect of a villainous jim gordon we haven't really seen that when it comes to mainstream uh comics or other media we've seen him kind of turn against batman for whatever reason but we've never seen him be an outright villain so i'm excited really looking forward to it uh, next up we're going to do miscellaneous because tv i think has the most uh, stuff in it starting off in miscellaneous uh, for wrestling news uh, for those of you who are not pro wrestling fans I apologize but I uh, this was a big deal and as a pro wrestling fan I really wanted to talk about it uh, the legend the legendary Harley race passed away this past week um, we're not super sure absolutely of uh, what caused his passing but he's been sick for a little while Ric Flair um, let it slip in recent months that Harley Race was sick, and so he passed away this past week. He is an absolute legend in the industry. He was the man who really kind of ran the territory scene back when pro wrestling wasn't, you know, this giant conglomerate of a company that WWE is. Uh, for those of you who don't know or aren't aware, um, wrestling used to be a territory system, all kind of under the banner of the National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA. And Harley Race was kind of the guy for the NWA. He was the NWA uh, World's Heavyweight Champion. Went territory to territory, basically um, winning all over the place, testing the mettle of the best people in each territory, and really being the standard bearer for pro wrestling in the uh, 60s and 70s. And he was unequivocally one of the toughest SOBs to ever grace the squared circle that is a wrestling ring and he was the man who passed the torch to rick flair in the nwa when uh rick flair won his very first nwa world's heavyweight champion it was off of a long reign of harley race so a lot of wrestlers today take a lot of inspiration from him cm punk was uh famous for always saying what would harley race do and uh, triple h has patterned a lot of his wrestling style, uh, his persona off of different mannerisms of Harley Race. So uh, thoughts go out to Harley Race's family, anyone who was ever really close to Harley Race, which it sounds like a lot of wrestlers are. So um, yeah, just wanted to definitely touch on that. 
Uh, also, Marvel. Uh, Marvel has been gearing up for its 80th anniversary. The Pops uh, have been a They have released a bunch of um, promotional material for their partnership with Pops, basically doing the 80th anniversary for a lot of different long-standing and long-wanted pop figures, uh, specifically the ones that I was really interested in. Uh, the very first appearance of Wolverine in his old-school uh, first appearance costume, definitely going to be picking that one up, as well as the original X-Men in their original X-Men number one uh, costumes, the yellow and blue. Uh, I'll definitely be picking up at least the Cyclops one so I can have the two first appearance uh, of those characters kind of side by side. They also revealed a bombastic Bagman, which I'm really excited about as well, as well as others. You can check all of that out on the uh, Pop Figure website or any uh, collector's websites as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about it. I don't want to get too deep into it, but um, since we are talking about uh, miscellaneous news right now, um, I just want to just briefly touch on um the really just horrible uh acts of terrorism that were uh put upon american people uh this past weekend in both el paso texas as well as dayton ohio um people lost their lives it's absolutely tragic that this happens and continues to happen um it is unfortunate that people who are responsible for these kinds of atrocities are given so much free access to these weapons that are that able them to um to perpetrate these kind of uh crimes and i think it's an awful shame and we as a people really need to uh relook at the stuff that matters not this isn't like a bipartisan issue. This isn't like a political thing. This is uh, people are losing their lives. And it's up to all of us together collectively, not just um, American people, but also the people who are able to make real change and make the decisions that will keep people safe to make those decisions. So um, I don't want to get into uh, too deep to it because I don't, I kind of like to have. Uh, this geek culture kind of be separate without a ton of politics but um this is something that has been really building for uh quite a few years now and i really think that there needs to be change so um i'm just gonna i'm, I'm gonna end it there i know it's awkward i don't like to um like I said, I don't like to get too political with my podcast, but uh, it's it's too big of an issue that I couldn't not mention it. Oh, okay, so we're moving on to our final bit of news for the week, and that is our TV news. Lots of TV news this week. So um, first of all, we're going to talk about the two big heavy hitters, which were uh, DC. DC really came out of the gate strong when it came to their TV news for the past week uh, in two different properties. We're going to tackle the first one, which is Titans. Titans Season 2 is uh, officially coming out, if not next month, then uh, October for sure. I believe it's September, but I could be wrong. Um, 
And the uh, initially this past week, we got some set photos featuring uh, Beast Boy and Superboy walking around in a park. Pretty pedestrian stuff, except that uh, Superboy was wearing his Superboy shirt. Uh, his probably his most iconic costume is just the uh, black T-shirt with the red S and jeans. And it was pretty cool seeing that. I am really unfamiliar with the actor who is playing him here, but he looks the part, and I will reserve judgment until I see uh, the episodes featuring him. So I'm looking forward to it. But then, this past Monday, uh, a trailer for season two uh, came out, just popped up everywhere, and we came to find out that it was actually leaked. It was leaked and um, DC immediately went into uh, damage control mode and tried to get everyone to pull it down. Uh, they pulled it off of a bunch of different sites as well, and uh, they were trying to really crack down because they said, oh, you know, even though the trailer's finished, we don't want to release it just yet. And I don't know whether um, they meant to do it, whether they were... Um, trying to hold it off for a later date but with all of the backlash from people wanting to see the trailer or review the trailer um they just popped it back up on their main channel uh today or i guess as of this recording today uh it i'm recording on tuesday it's going to be coming out on uh, this episode is going to be coming out on wednesday so the episode was officially uh released and it looks good. I hate to say that. I don't like saying it because uh, it's pretty been pretty well documented how lackluster I found the first season of Titans. Uh, it had a lot of good ideas, but the execution was really, really poor. But this trailer looks pretty freaking good. Um, and personally, I think that has a lot to do with how much uh, costumes we actually saw. Uh, pretty much everybody who features in the trailer is wearing some variation of a costume either they are currently wearing or have worn in the past, and I really dug it. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we got a first look at Aqualad. We got our first look at Superboy. Um, we got, a, I mean, a first official look at uh, Donna Troy's costume, her old-school red uh, Wonder Girl costume. Looked really, really good. Uh, costumes look really good, guys. They look really, really good. We also got a glimpse of Rose Wilson, the Ravager, which I liked. Um, she's got the white hair. Uh, looks interesting. We got a glimpse of Jericho just for like a second. It showed his face and then, you know, moved on. And it looks like we're getting some kind of, uh, some kind of home base some kind of titans clubhouse which i'm really excited about i doubt that it's going to be uh in a giant t or anything like that but if they have something similar to like the young justices uh the cave inside of happy harbor i will be ecstatic about that but overall uh the big shot for me that really sold it was this big hallway shot that featured hawk and dove wonder girl aqualad and robin i'm a, i'm assuming and i'm and by Robin, I mean Dick Grayson Robin. Um, I'm assuming that's a flashback because they talk about how uh, this is Titans 2.0, Titans of the Next Generation, or whatever. Um, so I'm assuming that this is going to be kind of like a look back at the original team of Titans. And I like that. Uh, we also got our first look at Ian Glenn playing Bruce Wayne, whose American accent is shoddy at best from what I can tell. Um, it kind of seemed like they weren't even trying to hide that he doesn't have a natural American accent because it sounded like he was playing Sir Jorah. 
uh, during this trailer. So we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening with that. I'm excited. It looks good. Um, again, I will reserve judgment until we actually until the series actually drops, but I'm looking forward to it. We also got a look at Crypto, who is officially named uh, this time. We got a glimpse of him in the post credit scene for Season 1. Uh, we got to see Raven as well, sporting her, uh, her forehead diamond jewel thing. So that's cool. I think that's going to bring a lot to uh, her character and bring it a little closer visually to the comics, which I think was going to help her out. I think for me personally, she was probably the weakest uh, acting-wise of the season. But I'm looking forward to it. We didn't really see anything of Starfire, which I was surprised at since she had such a prominent role in the first season. But hopefully we get more of her. And then we also got to see Crypto officially named uh, after his supporting cameo in the post credit scene of the first season. And then the, uh, the episode wrapped up with, or the episode, the trailer wrapped up with our first official look at Deathstroke. And it looks real good. Um, I love the scale mail, like, hearkening back to his original costume in the comics. It, it looks really good, and I'm just worried because I want this to be so good. And I just, I don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off. So, here's hoping. I'm really looking forward to it. We are going to see what happens. And then the other big news this week concerns uh, this year's... DCCW crossover, which is the adaptation of one of the most influential comics to ever grace comic stands, Crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, this is pretty much what every DCCW show, every Arrowverse show, has been leading up to. Uh, it's been teased since the very first episode of The Flash. So I am really excited about this. And I'm even more excited now every single week because we seem to get more and more news. The last big reveal was that Brandon Routh is going to be uh, coming back to be uh, Superman again, and we now know as a Kingdom Come version of Superman, which I'm super excited about. And this week brought even more stuff. So first of all, um, big news, Black Lightning is officially going to be making his Arrowverse debut, joining uh, the other heroes in Crisis on Infinite Earths. His show has been interesting because it feels like it's set in the same world, but it is definitely not because he's... Uh, his show's been going on for a while, and he's never shown up on any of the crossovers, so I'm assuming he's going to be on an alternate Earth like uh, like Supergirl is. But I think it's cool that they're bringing him in. He's kind of been... Uh, his show has kind of been like the black sheep so far of the, uh, of the Arrowverse show, so I'm glad that they're finally embracing him and bringing him back in. Um, the big one, the big one this week is an announcement concerning everyone's favorite caped crusader and that is that batman will officially be making his debut in the cw dc universe and i'm really excited about this because it was announced that he will be played an older version of bruce wayne will be making an appearance in crisis on infinite earths and he will be played by kevin freaking conroy I am so, so excited about this. I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. Um, for those of you who don't know, which I'm surprised, how could you not know? 
uh, Kevin Conroy is the voice of Batman from the Batman animated series, the Arkham games, Batman Beyond. Pretty much the best Batman has finally made his way to an on-screen portrayal. Um, he is a little bit older, so this might even be teasing a Batman Beyond uh, universe inside of the multiverse that is the Arrowverse shows. But I cannot tell you guys how excited I am about this. Uh, he seems really excited about it too. Uh, I... I'm really looking forward to it, really looking forward to this, because uh, Kevin Conroy, for a lot of people, is their Batman, he's my Batman, um, and his voice is iconic, him and Mark Hamill as Batman and Joker respectively, uh, have just been my building blocks for those characters ever since my childhood and for a lot of people as well and he came into even more prominence with the Arkhamverse the uh, the four Batman Arkham games and his stock is just as a Batman uh, actor is just super high and I'm glad that the uh, DCCW verse really gets to take the most iconic Batman and include him in this most iconic crossover. So that was the big news along with the airing schedule. The airings, the official airing schedule was finally released for Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it is going to be in five parts. Five parts, five hour-long episodes, so this is going to be a five-hour uh, crossover and it is going to be across all five of the current DC uh, CW Arrowverse shows, not including Black Lightning, because again, as of uh, pretty much up to Crisis, he's kind of been separate on his own. So we are going to go through the uh, airing schedule right now so that you are caught up, you know what's going on, and you know when to tune in. Uh, the first the first episode of Crisis, Part 1, Chapter 1, we'll go chapters with this. So Chapter 1 of Crisis on Infinite Earths will be in Supergirl on Sunday, December 8th of 2019. Chapter 2 will be on Batwoman Monday, December 9th of 2019. And Chapter 3 will be in The Flash, Tuesday, December 10th of 2019. Then we are taking a break. There's a break in between. They have never done this before, and I'm a little uh, little distraught, not going to lie. I'm a little upset that we have to wait, but but um, it's not a huge wait. It's um, just a month. It's just uh, four weeks, and then we will jump right back into it. Uh, chapter four will be Arrow. Uh, Tuesday, January 14th of 2020. And then chapter 5, the final chapter, will be in DC's Legends of Tomorrow, uh, also on Tuesday, January 14th, 2020. So, we're getting basically this action-packed um, two-hour event to close it out in uh, the second week of January. Really excited about all this. Uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths is a hell of a story to uh, adapt and go out on, so I'm really excited. Uh, it is going to be part of our weekly review. So now that uh, there is a break between uh, parts, I need to kind of figure out exactly what I'm going to do between those weeks. So we'll look at it. I'll look at it. I'll figure something out. But 
as soon as that comes back, we will be uh, finishing off uh, Crisis on Infinite in our weekly review. But that is all stuff to look forward to. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Crisis on Infinite Earths is one of the most iconic and most influential stories in all of comics, period, bar none. So I am really looking forward to seeing what they do with it there. Um, but for now, uh, we're going to move on to the main course, the entree of the episode, if you will. And that is counting down my favorite crime comics. seen a lot of it, I've done a lot of it. And when you've been in the business as long as I have, you get to do both. A lot. I don't know where I was going with that, but um, <laughs> um, today's episode is all about crime comics. I'm really excited to talk about this. Um, a friend of mine was asking me a while ago if I would ever talk about crime uh, the best comics that didn't involve superheroes. And I think this is a good step to that. I'm definitely going to be uh, at some point ranking some of my favorite comics that have nothing to do with superheroes. But just before we get to that, I want to make sure that we talk about crime comics because as you know, this Friday, as of this recording, is the debut of the film adaptation of the comic The Kitchen. Now, this comic takes place in 70s in New York in Hell's Kitchen, hence the title, The Kitchen. And hearing about that and really wanting to kind of touch on the subject matter, I wanted to talk about some of my favorite crime comics. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, crime stories, whether that's like Detective Noir, whether that's like movies like The Departed, like stuff that really delves into crime stuff that delves into uh character pieces like that and these comics i think definitely fall under that umbrella i'm really excited to talk about these i'm going to be letting you know uh kind of similar to our comics countdown segment the title uh the creative team behind them the synopsis for each story and then i'm going to talk to you about why i think it's great uh, these are in no particular order, they're just how I have them listed here, and all of them are absolutely worth your time. So first up, I have Kill or Be Killed. Uh, this is a story written by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, uh, or it's written by Ed Brubaker with art by Sean Phillips. Um, this is a different story, this is a really different story. I'll talk about the uh, synopsis and then we'll talk about the actual book. The best-selling team of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips launched their new monthly series, Kill 
or be killed. The twisted story of a young man who is forced to kill bad people, and how he struggles to keep his secret as it slowly ruins his life and the lives of his friends and loved ones. Both a thriller and a deconstruction of vigilantism, Kill or Be Killed is unlike anything Brubaker and Phillips have ever done. So this is, I think, the closest to getting to, like, a, a DC or even some of the really darker Marvel superhero stories that deal with, like, street-level vigilantism. Um, I wanted to start off with this because Ed Brubaker, one of my favorite writers, has run on Captain America, is iconic and was an instant classic and inspired uh, pretty much the direction that Captain America took in the MCU. Uh, he was the person behind the Winter Soldier arc that brought Bucky Barnes back into modern continuity. And he just has his finger on the pulse with crime thrillers, political thrillers, stuff like that. So this book deals with the main character basically um, coming back from military service and not knowing what to do with his life. And seemingly it's really unclear at least as much as i've read uh whether this is all in his head or if this actually happens but he basically makes a deal with a demon because he has suicidal thoughts and instead of killing himself he bargains with the demon to keep his life but because the demon saves his life he has to kill other people to keep himself alive so it's really interesting it kind of delves into stuff that I think you would find interesting if you liked Breaking Bad, if you liked Dexter. Uh, there's there's even, honestly, there's even some Barry in there as well. I recently finally caught up on Barry. Friggin' love that. Love that show. Um, and I think this is a really good book if you are into that kind of thing. Um, the art here is stellar. Sean Phillips does a great, great job. And Ed Brubaker once again brings his thriller uh, background into a story that will keep you on the edge of your seat with every issue. Uh, next up, we have Southern Bastards. Uh, this is written by Jason Aaron with art by Jason Latour. Uh, this is going to be a little bit off the beaten path when it comes to the rest of these books. And we'll jump into the synopsis so you can get a sense of why. Welcome to Craw County, Alabama. Home of Boss Barbecue, the state champion Runnin' Rebs football team, and more bastards than you've ever seen. When you're an angry old man like Earl Tubb, the only way to survive a place like this is to carry a really big stick. From the acclaimed team of Jason Aaron and Jason Latour, the same bastards who brought you Scalped and Wolverine, Japan's Most Wanted, comes a southern fried crime series that's like the Dukes of Hazard meets the Coen Brothers on meth. How can you not want to read this book with a synopsis like that? Uh, this book is weird. This book is out there. Uh, this is a book where it took me a little bit to get into because I am a visual reader when it comes to comics. If I don't like the art, it really turns me off of the comic as a whole. Uh, Jason Latour is a great artist. Um, I normally don't really get into his work, though, because it's a little bit too, uh, for me, it's a bit too abstract to unpolished but for a story like this that really works that really helps to sell the world building that they do in this story um volume one is also a it's almost akin to like a greek tragedy uh you really get to step into the 
boots, if you will, of the main character. And it's sad. It's really sad. You get this story of coming home after being away for a long time and seeing how much your home has changed and watching at how much that affects you and your memories of that place. Uh, this is a story that I really, really enjoyed, and I think you would enjoy if you love like old westerns. This really brings to mind some old... Um, some western stories this brings to mind um stories that like if you ever watched um what was it called it was uh gran torino gran torino is a great great film by clint eastwood um and this story i think is something that if you like that film uh you would like this this isn't as much of a slow burn as gran torino is but this is overall a fantastic story by one of my favorite writers jason aaron uh who really you know steps away from the big stories you know concerning the thunder god that we all know and love today and really kind of brings his purview his focus down to more of a street level in a world where there are no superheroes and you really get to see these characters be vulnerable vulnerable you see you get to see these characters be not as polished as you would come to expect with a jason aaron story so i really enjoy it uh it's a hell of a ride for sure uh next up we have the kitchen had to had to talk about it because of the movie that is coming out, of course. Uh, this is written by Ollie Masters with art by Ming Doyle. This is a quick read, I will say. Um, this story is also vastly different from the story that, at least from the trailers, the movie is going to be doing. So um, just be prepared for that if you watch the film, really enjoy it, and then want to read the comic because they do seem like very different stories. So we'll jump into the synopsis here. New York City, late 1970s. Times Square is a haven for sex and drugs. The city teeters on the verge of bankruptcy while blackouts can strike at any moment. This is the world of the kitchen. The Irish gangs of Hell's Kitchen rule the neighborhood, bringing terror to the streets and doing the dirty work for the Italian mafia. Jimmy Brennan and his crew were the hardest bastards in the kitchen, but after they're all put in prison, their wives, Kath, Raven, and Angie, decide to keep running their rackets, and once they get a taste for the fast life and easy money, it won't be easy to stop. The Kitchen takes one of the most popular genres in entertainment and, like The Sopranos, reimagines it for a new generation to present a classic gangster story told from a fresh point of view. The Kitchen is not to be missed. So, um, overall, I really enjoyed this story. It moves really quickly, like, uh, from issue to issue. Like, you can see at the beginning of, you know, the end of one issue ends with a cliffhanger, and then the beginning of the next issue will be, like, months later. So time passes very quickly in this story. Uh, it doesn't wait for you, which I think is smart, and I think really gets you engaged in the story and has you pay attention very quickly. Uh, the three leads, Kath, Angie, and Raven, are also very compelling. Uh, watching how they start in very similar situations and how they grow apart from each other and uh, take on very different roles within their crime families I think is really cool as well. So I would definitely, definitely pick this up, especially if you enjoy what you see in the kitchen, uh, the film. 
Next up, we have Postal. Now, this is a book that I didn't expect. This is a book that surprised me right out the gate. Uh, this is written by Brian Hill and Matt Hawkins. Brian Hill, having recently done work on uh, Detective Comics, as well as writing the Batman and the Outsiders book, with art by Isaac Goodhart. And I was not familiar with Isaac Goodhart's art, but I really, really enjoyed it here. Uh, he has a way of making really cleaned up characters seem really dirty which um i think is not just a point to him but also a point to the writing this is fantastic i'll jump into the synopsis the townsfolk of eden wyoming wake up to the first official murder the town has seen in 25 years their reaction to this isn't normal and there's a reason for that eden operates as a haven for fugitive criminals who remain here while new identities often including facial re reconstruction, are created for them. There is zero tolerance for any illegal activity that might draw attention to the town, and an official murder is the last thing they want. A single, tight-knit family runs Eden, with the youngest oddball son, Mark Schifrin, overseeing the postal branch, the only means of shipping in or out of the city. The FBI has repeatedly been foiled trying to insert an undercover here. They see Mark as the weak link to exploit. This murder gives them a new opportunity. So yeah, this I think is really cool, and this does a great job in world building in a very small scope. Uh, this is basically, as the synopsis states, a town run by criminals for criminals. This is where you go if there's too much heat on you and you want to start your life over. So there's basically... Um, we've seen this in other uh superhero comics the marvel has uh the bar with no name which i love as just a uh, as a plot device it's basically a bar where any criminals can go but you cannot commit a crime there so there's it's basically that but in a small town uh version so you get to see characters who seem really pleasant and fit into the uh, societal norms within the town but then in certain issues you'll get like a rap uh, a rap sheet for the characters that you were looking at and you'll see like oh this person is wanted for you know mass murder and like you get to see these characters try and keep this fragile piece especially when this murder does go down um, the character Mark Schifrin is also really interesting as a lead he suffers from Asperger's so he is a little bit of an oddball and you see how that affects his relationship with other people as well as how people view him overall this is a really stunning comic really really good I cannot recommend this enough and then finally we have the fix this is written by uh, Nick Spencer with art by Steve Lieber. Both big, big time right now. Nick Spencer is the uh, writer on the Amazing Spider-Man book. And Steve Lieber just helped launch uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen with Matt Fraction. Uh, they work so well together. And they were reunited after having done super good work on the superior foes of Spider-Man. This was basically a Sinister Six book during the Superior Spider-Man run. And it was unlike any Sinister Six book you've ever seen because these are all D-list supervillains who just suck and are trying to do their best in a world where the Superior Spider-Man is running the show. Um, that really translates well here. This is a gritty crime drama set in Los Angeles. I love, love, love this book. Everything about it. Uh, let's jump into the synopsis so I can get to talking about it. 
From the creators of the superior foes of Spider-Man comes a story of the crooked cops, scheming mobsters, and corrupt politicians that run things, and the sex toy that can bring them all down. Oh, and their hero is a drug-sniffing beagle named Pretzels. Bad people do bad things to each other in this frenetic, outrageous, sometimes off-putting new caper. If you like cra- if you- I'm going to try that again. If you liked classic crime comics like Criminal and 100 Bullets, we apologize in advance for letting you down. So even in the synopsis, the book does not take itself too seriously, and the two leads that they have here are hilarious. This book is frenetic, just like it says in the in the synopsis. It moves quickly, and even though uh, the two leads are probably the scummiest characters I've really ever read in a realistic crime drama like this um they do it with a smile and they're so charming that you can't help but root for them uh they set up on the very first issue that the hero of the story is not our two leads but instead a drug sniffing beagle named pretzels and i just i love it this book is off the wall this book is at times really inappropriate uh there's certain issues there are certain stories in the those issues that i'm like i never want to read that again but it really sells how much these characters are uh willing to get themselves into the grittiest and dirtiest bits of the los angeles crime uh scene to make a buck and to get out of the position that they're in i don't want to spoil the uh the twist in the first episode or episode the first uh issue but this speaking of episodes would make an incredible hbo series and being someone who lives in los angeles there are a lot of references that happen in this book that i just love seeing uh certain iconography like uh on the very first issue they have the house of pies um restaurant which is it's everywhere in LA. Uh, they go to the Hollywood sign. They have In-N-Out Burger. Like, this is really a book set in our world with scumbags who you would never want to cross on your worst day. So I just absolutely love it. So those are the five books that I would definitely recommend checking out if you're into crime comics or you want to check out crime comics. Uh, to recap, Killer Be Killed, Southern Bastards, The Kitchen, Postal, and The Fix. If I had to rank them, I don't want to rank them, but um, if I did have to rank them, I would probably go Kitchen at five. Um, oh, this is tough. Uh, kitchen at number five. Um, oh. This sucks. Uh, Killer Be Killed at number four, even though that's really compelling. Um, Southern Bastards at number three, Postal at number two, and The Fix at number one. Because The Fix is just so fun in how bad it is, and all of these have varying tones. Southern Bastards is very is played very straight and almost is really sad. Uh, the Kitchen is played like a thriller. Uh, Killer Be Killed is played like a psychological thriller, and Postal is straight up just um, really just aligns itself with some of the worst pieces of garbage that you have ever seen when it comes to some of their characters. Uh, there's almost, it almost, um, speaking of Postal, really, because I was talking about stuff that I would kind of align it with, um, Postal has some of the vibes of some of the best Walking Dead episodes. I know that's a weird comparison, but we're talking about a small town brought, you know, comprised of people from varying backgrounds trying to outrun something that is still chasing them. And some of the best 
episodes and seasons of The Walking Dead dealt with stuff like in Alexandria and the prison, building a community of people with really checkered pasts, and I really enjoy it. The fix is just outright just awful, um, hilarious, dark humor, and is probably the most fun out of all of the books, like, by a landslide. But all of these books are absolutely worth your time. Um, I'm also going to throw in as an honorable mention as a book that does uh, kind of fall under the purview of superhero comics, because that's what I talk about all the time, um, Gotham Central. Gotham Central is absolutely incredible. Gotham Central is required reading if you are a fan of Batman or his world or Gotham City. Uh, really dealing with uh, just the street level. I know that see, seems weird because Batman inherently is street level, but sometimes we forget in all of the craziness of his rogues gallery that uh, there are real people, real cops having to deal with the fallout and the backlash of stuff that happens in those stories. So um, definitely check that out. I didn't want to dive too far into it because I wanted to focus on the books that uh, I had picked and books that aren't in the superhero purview, but that is something that if you don't want to reach too far out yet and you want kind of an intro into crime comics uh, within the scope of superhero comics, that's definitely one I think you should pick up. But that is it. That is going to do it for the uh, the main course, the entree of this episode, if you will. Uh, these are all books that I think you should absolutely pick up. These are books that I was really pleasantly surprised by. Um, certain books here I had never read before, like I'd never read Southern Bastards, I'd never read The Fix, but I was really, really just taken in immediately by their world building, how quickly you get invested in the main characters, and I just, I cannot recommend them enough. So um, if I missed any, I would love to hear your thoughts on it, I would love to hear uh, books that you think are in the crime drama uh, genre, and think that I would enjoy, you can feel free to let me know that on either our Instagram or Twitter at GeeksplainedPod, that's at GeeksplainedPod, or through email to geeksplained at gmail.com, because I'm an old man and I still read emails. So I just, I love crime, detective stories, stuff like that, and I definitely think that um, these comics do that genre justice. I'm excited to watch The Kitchen, it's definitely, uh, since it's coming out on a weekend that is kind of slow when it comes to other movie releases. Some other movies are coming out, but I'm not really interested in those. I'll definitely be checking them out. Um, and I'd love to know if you're going to be checking them out too. Do you like crime dramas? Please let me know. Uh, I would love to have that conversation with you. And I just... ah. I'm so excited about seeing this film and about uh, reading more. I'm definitely uh, going to be picking up more of these books on the regular as I dive further into them. So I would love to know if any of these catch your eye as well. Overall, crime comics are so, so fun. And these comics, I think, are the best of the best.
I just, I just, I love, <laughs> I love that song. Um, of course, it is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And here we are. We are at the finale of the saga of the Swamp Thing. This is, of course, the live-action Swamp Thing show on the DC Universe streaming service and app. And uh, this is it. We are reviewing episode 10, entitled Loose Ends, and this is the finale, not just of season one, but of the entire series. Uh, of course, as we know, the series was halted production. Uh, basically, they were canceled before they even got out of the gate, uh, forced to reduce their 13-episode count down to just 10, and um, unfortunately, you can really tell in this episode Um you can really tell that they had a lot more story to tell and a lot more character development to go into because this episode is it's visually stunning but it's the just the plotting of it is really um really choppy and i don't like saying that because the rest of the season for the most part has been really solid and unfortunately it just didn't stick the landing here um you can definitely tell that certain characters meant to have episode long arcs between um at a certain point there's like a cutoff i want to say around like episode maybe like episode seven and episode eight there's like a cutoff where it's like all of the stuff that was leading into that suddenly they had to shift gears and make the final couple episodes wrap everything up maybe in the same way that it was going to originally but without any of the um the steps the necessary steps that it takes to get those characters there uh, which sucks, which really, really sucks. Uh, certain characters you never really get any kind of closure on. Susie just disappeared after a certain point. And though she should have been like right in the thick of it with certain uh, certain plot points, she just disappeared and we never heard from her again. Uh, certain character stories were wrapped up a bit too quickly. And we'll get into that, but um, overall, just not the strongest episode of the season, which is unfortunate because it is the lasting uh, impression that we're going to get for this show. But jumping into it, uh, this episode really kind of centers around Swamp Thing's last stand. After realizing that he is not Alec Holland, after realizing that he is just kind of a plant-based entity that's taken on the persona and the memories of Alec Holland, um, it really shakes him really shakes him up and I love the uh, kind of the chemistry between him and Abby um, even though I think that the the scenes between Abby and uh, Holland before he turned into Swamp Thing uh, really were the kind of the stuff that really got me um, immersed in that world and in those characters uh, Swamp Thing ain't no slouch. They really took the time to make him feel uh, empathetic, to really get you to feel how shaken and how broken up he is at realizing he's not who he thought he was. And uh, when they realize that the Conclave is gearing up to send basically like a team of bounty hunters and killers after him, he basically just says, no, 
I'm not going to stand for this. I'm not going to take this. Uh, they're not going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt them. Uh, meanwhile, while this is happening, Woodrow finally cracks. Uh, this is another thing that I think really... Um, seems more abrupt than anything uh last episode we did see that his wife overdosed and he was trying to uh resuscitate her bring her back and in this episode we find out he's duct taped her to a chair instead of taking her to a hospital uh, and he's trying to like feed her the bits that he cut out a swab thing and it really i love this take on the character but i just you feel i feel like the Woodrow that we saw in episode 2 and the Woodrow that we see here are two vastly different characters. And we didn't really get enough time to watch this degradation from a normal man trying to cure his wife into this mad scientist who's willing to stop at nothing for his own uh, scientific gains. So, it was okay. It was okay. Um, Abby coming in got some real good tension, but ultimately he's subdued, tased, and sent off. More on him later. Uh, meanwhile, Liz kind of gets this weird uh, scene with uh, Dan Cassidy, who is getting ready to leave. We didn't really get any kind of um, resolution or any kind of like moment after like him realizing, hey, I just turned into the Blue Devil. We got like a, a, just a smidge, a smidgen of a snippet of a scene where he wakes up after being the Blue Devil, but we don't see anything past that. The next time we see him, he's just in his shop, you know, packing up his stuff and getting ready to go. So it's like, why... I Again, this is one of the things where I wish we'd gotten more time to find out why does he suddenly decide that he's okay to leave and he can leave now. Um... And all of a sudden, like, we got this, like, potential romance thing, at least that that's the vibe that I got from it, where really the only kind of, um, if I'm remembering correctly, really the only kind of uh, interactions they've had was them having, like, passing conversations in the first episode, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, he saved her from those uh, enforcers from uh, Avery, and then he was put in a coma. And that was pretty much it, and now, like... He's giving her the keys to his shop, and he's leaving, and I liked the scene where he's driving, you know, full speed at the border to Murray, um, and he doesn't know if he's gonna just catch on fire and die like he almost did when he tried to leave before, but then as soon as he passes the border, he just, you know, shouts, yeah, and then we just cut away from him, we never see him again. There's no kind of catharsis for it, there's no payoff, um, we don't know, like, he's basically just leaving, and it's, it just, again, it feels unfinished. Um, speaking of unfinished, uh, we visit Maria in the, uh, in the insane asylum that she was committed to last episode, and she's visited by Madame Xanadu. Madame Xanadu, I think, is probably one of if not the character who has suffered the most from the cuts. I feel like if we had gotten those extra three episodes, we would have gotten a lot more from her. But we haven't seen her in like two or three episodes, and all of a sudden she shows up to Maria inside of the insane asylum. We don't know what's going on with her. We don't know why she's there. But she basically gives Maria the, um, the way out, in a sense. She gives her uh, quote-unquote peace, which is basically just 
fracturing Maria's mind so she's just at peace and seemingly sees the hallucination of her daughter Shauna we never got a payoff for Shauna we we don't know how this affects Susie we don't know why Madame Xanadu did this or what she's doing next and it really again feels unfinished um one story that does finish up is Avery and Lucilia um Avery ends up killing Lucilia after being told by uh Mr. Ellery in the Conclave that he needs to get his house in order before he's allowed to uh, continue business with them. And it it feels earned in a way just because um, this is something that's kind of been building throughout the season. This is one of the arcs that they've actually done a fairly good job of keeping intact throughout the season. But um, so basically Avery kills or stabs her through the chest with this huge hunting knife and then locks her in the trunk of her car and sends her into the swamp like we haven't seen that happen before. Like people who are dying or are in Alec Holland's case dead being dumped into the swamp. Avery even himself was sent into the swamp and he survived. Why does he think this is going to work when it hasn't worked twice already? Maybe it's because she's locked inside the back of a truck or the trunk of a car, but it's like, what? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and then following this, Avery coughs up some uh, swamp ness, and we're never going to get a payoff for that. We don't know what his uh, connection is to that or how that affected him. Um, one thing we did get, though, was motherfucking Andy Bean. Andy Bean came back with a great scene between him and Swamp Thing, basically telling him that... Um, you are who you choose to be, and if that's Alec Holland, that's Alec Holland, which I loved. It was great having that kind of duality with the two characters, um, and I'm sad that we're not going to be able to get more uh, more stuff like this, uh, but the big action set piece was uh, Swamp Thing versus the, uh, the Conclave, and it was great. It was one thing that this show has consistently done very well is its visual effects, whether practical or CGI, and this was really, it gave me the, um, it gave me Predator vibes, like the original Predator, where it's like all these soldiers go into the, uh, go into the woods, and they are systematically picked off by this unseen creature. Uh, Swamp Thing does some work here, and he really just goes to town on these characters, which I really, really enjoyed. The action was fantastic. The horror aspect of Swamp Thing basically hunting them and luring them by uh, taking one of their guys and using him as bait for the others really, really worked well, and I wish that we had gotten more stuff like this. But um, it pretty much ends with Abby deciding not to go back to Atlanta and the CDC and her staying with Swamp Thing, and that's kind of how it ends. So takeaways. Takeaways at the end of this that could have moved forward into a potential season two. Uh, Abby and Swamp Thing have really, you know, come together and they're gonna be, you know, two people, uh, partners in crime about to fight against the rot, which also kind of fell to the wayside uh, in the last few episodes, the impending threat of the rot, and that was kind of where they left it off, that the two of them were going to become guardians of the green and fight off the rot, but of course we're never going to get that. Uh, Lucilia may be dead. She might not be. We've seen it, you know, not work twice before, being dumped into the swamp half dead, but we'll see. Um, Avery in the Conclave. Avery's back in the uh, in the good graces of the Conclave and with the near death of uh, Mr. Ellery, there might be room for him to move up in the ranks, but 
Again, we're never going to see that. And then finally, the post credit scene has Matt Cable, who I thought was going to get some big push in this final episode after his uh, near-death experience in the last episode. But he's just laid up in the hospital the entire time. And then the post credit scene, he's suddenly fine and okay. And he's going into the uh, police precinct after, um, after hours and basically sees it completely torn up, dead bodies... And uh, he sees that Woodrue, who ate some of the bits that he uh, chopped off a swamp thing, has turned into the Floronic Man, which was cool, which is great. It was a great uh, full circle moment for him, being able to become the character that he becomes in the comics. But again, um, we didn't get to see the metamorphosis, which sucked. Uh, we didn't really get to see um, how this was supposed to affect him on a I guess a genealogical level and um it was a cool moment basically he goes and is on a rampage and he presumably kills matt again um at the end of it and that's pretty much it that's where it ends so it would seemingly set up swamp thing versus the rot and the floronic man so he's basically being attacked on two sides but again we're never going to get this so uh my final point here in my notes is so long swamp thing it was uh we barely knew ye uh, i i feel bad that they got their uh story chopped off at the knees so quickly into their production um, I feel really bad for the writers, for the showrunner who really put their time into this just to see it kind of uh, stumble and crash and burn near the end. But that's what happens when you're forced to take out uh, a third of your story to please basically the executives. So it sucks, but that is what it is. I enjoyed the performances specifically of Abby Arcane, of uh, Alec Holland, even of Liz. I really liked her character as well. And Dan Cassidy, I wish we'd got more of him. But overall, um, it's, it's not going to have as big a staying power as I think some of the other shows. So that is it for Swamp Thing. Let me know what you thought of Swamp Thing. I would love to have that conversation with you. If you watched it, if you didn't watch it, um, are you excited for the upcoming DC Universe uh, shows? I'm sure we will be back uh, reviewing those in due time. But next week, we are starting off a new show, a very exciting show, a show that I cannot wait to dive into, and that is The Boys! The Boys, which has debuted pretty much all eight episodes on uh, Amazon. I'm going to be doing something a little unconventional and not binging each episode. I'm going to be watching each episode week by week. I'm excited to jump into it, and I'm excited to share uh, my experience with you. I've already talked to several people who have told me just how great the show is, and I'm really excited to uh, jump into it and really see what all the fuss is about. Again, I, uh, I read the comic back when it was first coming out. I wasn't super impressed by it. Um, but I'm excited to see because a lot of people have said that the uh, the show changes a lot from the book so I'm interested to see where they go um, but yeah ex I'm really excited look forward to The Boys episode 1 next week in our weekly review but for now let's jump on over to this week's Comics Countdown <laughs> 
Ooh, welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I talk about the comics that I think you should be picking up, whether it's at your local comic book shop, on Comixology, or however you get your comics. These are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. We'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind each book, as well as a brief synopsis for each book as well. And of course, each synopsis will be accompanied by my synopsis voices. But before we look at this week, we're going to take a quick look at last week with our Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. Title pending. So the pick of the week for last week for me was uh, Batman The Last Night on Earth number two. This is issue two of three uh, in the final Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo Batman uh, story. Basically it's their uh, wrap-up taking everything that they've used across their entire Batman run. This also includes stuff from uh, Dark Knight's Metal as well as the Justice League books. And basically concluding it and i'm not sure it's canon it's i don't think it's canon it's a possible future we'll say but um last last week's issue really upped the ante i didn't think that the uh second issue could outweird the first issue but it definitely did and made it even more tragic um beware spoilers for this uh for this pick of the week but it was just fantastic. We got to see the fate of Superman and his final confrontation with Lex Luthor before everything went to hell. And we get to see how that affects Luthor, who was really the cause of everything that happened here. So I really liked that. I really dug that. And then at the end, they finally make it to their destination, and they are approached by the Court of Owls, which seemingly run by Dick Grayson. So I loved that reveal, loved that cliffhanger, and I'm really excited to see how they pay that off in the final issue. If you haven't picked it up yet, definitely pick it up and pick up the first issue as well. This is an instant classic when it comes to Scott Snyder Batman stories. But that was last week. Let's talk about this week. This week we have one, two, three, four, five, six books for you right here. And let's kick it off with Old Man Quill number eight of twelve. Written by Ethan Sachs with art by Robert Gill. And um this has just been really, really good. This book has been really good, especially with the uh, reveal of last issue that Peter Quill has, spoilers, been alone this entire time, that the Guardians died long before the events of this book, and that he's been basically doing it alone. Uh, reading back through previous issues, you can absolutely tell that this is the case, because no one ever mentions the other Guardians. It's just the solitary hero of Horse Creek. So I've been really enjoying this book, and I'm really interested to see how, um, how it's going to wrap up since we're heading into the final act here. Let's jump into the synopsis now. The fate of the Guardians of the Galaxy. The fallout from issue number 7 takes the quest in an unexpected direction. The Guardians of the Galaxy face their final mission, and what is the secret message Peter Quill would rather forget? So it seems like this issue is going to be kind of explaining uh, the ending of last issue it's going to be kind of explaining the last mission because we did see that uh peter was kind of spurred into this quest by the transmission from the rest of the guardians and as we kind of saw the uh the shiar um i can't remember their official name but basically the strike force for the shiar empire 
wiping them out and that's what spurred peter to go to earth so i'm interested to see how this kind of fills out that story and hopefully gives us some answers next up we have deceased number four of six written by tom taylor with art by trevor harrison um this has been a really interesting book so far i didn't think it was going to be as um different from marvel zombies as it has been um it's really interesting i really like it it's taking a definitely a different path from marvel zombies and i like that the two stories feel different so um i've been enjoying it so far i'm interested to see where they go from here let's jump into the synopsis here the daily planet has become a beacon of hope for the living as the anti-life equation sweeps the planet What's left of the Justice League have begun to gather here, bringing survivors and family alike. But the city is being overrun with infected humans and superhumans. The war for Metropolis begins. So there's only two more issues after this. Um, I'm assuming that it's kind of it's kind of gonna wrap up the same way marvel zombies did with everyone getting wiped out but uh i can't wait to see how they get there so pretty much it looks like this is going to be an assault on the daily planet where they have dozens upon dozens of survivors uh locked inside so we'll see where that goes next up is dead man logan number 10 of 12 written by ed brisson with art by mike henderson uh this book just Oh, it's so good. So good. And we've only got two issues left. We're getting ready to say goodbye to the old man. So I'm really excited about this. Can't wait. Let's just jump into the synopsis here. Ten degrees of evisceration. Logan's oldest foe is back from the shallow graves Logan put him in. And he aims to repay Logan in kind. So this is this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the Wolverine versus Sabretooth clash that has been kind of building for the last few issues. We've only got two more issues left of this. I'm sad to see this go, but the story has been so strong from the first issue just evolving into where the story is now. I cannot wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Batman number 76, written by Tom King with art by tony s daniel this is uh part two of the city of bane which started off last issue uh which showed us a very different gotham after bane has basically taken over and used the psycho pirate to brainwash all of the villains into following him it is something we haven't seen before it is something that i really really enjoyed and i'm really excited to see where they go next with it so let's jump into the synopsis here the city of Bane continues. Bane has taken over Gotham City, and Batman is nowhere to be found. At least, not a Batman anyone recognizes. Flashpoint Batman is now controlling the city, dispensing a violent brand of justice and taking out rogue villains who haven't yet signed on with Bane. It's all building to a rebellion among the bad guys who don't want to play along, and distrust in those who do. Meanwhile, a surprising ally has come to Bruce Wayne's aid, nursing him back to health so that he can get back to his city. So yeah, last issue had a lot to unpack, including the long-awaited reunion of Batman and Catwoman. Um, so we're going to get some, some stuff happening in this issue between Bruce and Selina, so I'm really excited. And then uh, 
having Flashpoint Batman with Gotham Girl essentially as his Robin, I thought was a really uh, inspired choice in last issue. So I'm excited to see that grow out of this. Next up, we have House of X, number two of six, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Pepe Larraz. Um, Powers of Ten just got edged out by uh, Batman Last Night on Earth for the pick of the week of last week. And um, it's it's because it was weird. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you guys. Um, I liked House of X a lot more than Powers of Ten, but I think the two of them kind of being layered as one story from different perspectives I think works on that level. I'm excited to kind of read back through them all as one singular story instead of having to wait week by week for them. So um, I'm just really excited to build off of the current day stuff that we saw in House of X number two. So let's jump into the synopsis here. Learn the truth about one of X-Men's closest allies, and then begin the fight for the future of mutant kind. Superstar writer Jonathan Hickman continues reshaping the X-Men's world with Marvel young gun artist Pepe Larraz. So yeah, they're keeping the details of this uh, close to the chest, and I'm fine with that. The books have been super good so far, even though Powers of Ten was really weird. Um... The cover of this issue seems to be building off of both stories from both of the first issues, so I'm excited to see how they really blend that together. But the big book this week, the one that I think is an absolute pickup for those of you who are interested in this kind of thing, is Absolute Carnage number one of four, written by Donny Cates with art by Ryan Stegman. This is what the whole uh, Donny Cates, Ryan Stegman, Venom book has been building up to over the last few years. Everyone is a target, and um, there's going to be a lot of bloodshed here so let's just jump into the synopsis here after turning venom's world upside down a year ago donny cates and ryan stegman are about to put the sinister symbiote through hell again only this time carnage has come calling and everyone who's ever worn a symbiote is dead in his sights he's skirted the periphery of the marvel universe for months but cletus cassidy at last stands poised to make his grand return to new york in a blistering 60 page story and he wants to paint the town red so yeah, this is um, building up everyone, you know, Carnage has had a cult following for a very long time, and so if you're one of the people who, uh, like me, kind of grew up with that character in that time where uh, symbiotes and clones were all the rage when it came to Spider-Man stories, this is definitely going to be a book for you to pick up. So that is it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Old Man Logan, number 8 of 12, Deceased, number 4 of 6, Dead Man Logan, number 10 of 12, Batman, number 76, House of X, number 2 of 6, and Absolute Carnage, number 1 of 4. If there are any books that I missed, feel free to let me know. I would love to uh, have that discussion with you on either of our uh, social medias or through email. Um, I love discovering new books. Uh, getting to do this week's episode helped me discover books that I hadn't really uh, read before. So some of the books I knew, some of the books I didn't, but I was really, really excited to jump in. And uh, that's all thanks to you guys. So thank you for that. And I cannot wait to dive into this week's books. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you very much for uh, tuning in and listening to me talk about crime comics, uh, about 
the final episode of Swamp Thing and everything else that we covered today. Um, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I'm uh, I'm a little sad. It's a little bittersweet that Swamp Thing is ending. But like we talked about, I mean, it's it, I I think if anything, the final episode really is kind of representative of how much faith the studio had in the show. And it's unfortunate because I think it really could have been something that had some real staying power. So um, once again, let me know what you thought of all of the crime comics that we covered and pretty much everything else that we covered in this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter or Instagram at Pod. That at geeksplained pod or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com next week is a very special episode and not just because it's my birthday next week um we're going to be doing a special retrospective episode on captain america next week is the uh, home video release of avengers endgame it released this past week on digital and uh, i'm definitely going to be picking up the blu-ray i just i have to i have to it's endgame um so next week's episode is going to be focusing on the life and times of steve rogers kind of chronicling his story from the being the first avenger to being almost the last avenger so really looking forward to that i've also got um some really good stuff that i'm looking forward to talking about in next week's comics countdown so stay tuned next week for all of that once again i want to give a big thank you to everyone who uh continues to support us and continues to listen through uh we've got listeners all over the world i really just i'm really excited about that like when i first started i didn't think i was going to get to that point but um i'm looking at our stats right now and we've got listeners in brazil we've got listeners in the uk in spain new zealand australia panama all over the place so i'm really excited thank you very much for making us a global podcast uh feel free to give us a review and uh give us a five-star rating on itunes i would really appreciate it it helps push out the podcast to find listeners just like you so um honestly thank you it's it's really it's a big deal uh we're almost up to 70 episodes and i'm just i'm really excited i'm really excited about what we've got in the pipeline coming for you on uh, the podcast for the rest of the year and into 2020 so um once again stay tuned next week for the life and times of steve rogers and the mcu same geek time same geek channel but for now for Geek Explain, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.